You like to watch new stuff, right? Well, go to Hulu and see what's new, because Hulu has new stuff all the time. Like Vanderpump Villa, the new docudrama starring Lisa Vanderpump, where first-class luxury meets world-class drama. A new season of The Kardashians starring The Kardashians, of course. And Grand Cayman, Secrets in Paradise, the sizzling new reality show set in the tropical Caribbean. It's all new and it's streaming now on Hulu. Good evening. We actually do have a serious show tonight. Um, we begin the readout tonight with the Democrats turning their focus on protecting your right to vote and to have that vote actually count. With Vice President Kamala Harris at her alma mater, Howard University, announcing a $25 million investment by the Democratic National Committee to support and protect voting access ahead of the midterm elections. These laws create obstacle upon obstacle. These laws make it harder for you to vote because they don't want you to vote. We will not let anyone take away our power. And that's why we are all here together today. Meanwhile, in Arizona, another Democrat fighting to protect voters, Arizona Secretary of State Katie Hobbs, who has asked her state's Republican vaccine-averse attorney general to open up a criminal investigation into whether Trump and his allies broke the law in their efforts to pressure, pressure Maricopa County officials after the election. Hobbs has made it clear that fighting her state's sham fraud it isn't just about affirming the last election, but preventing Republicans from stealing the next one, which is exactly what they're now openly trying to do while exporting more partisan sham reviews to other states like Pennsylvania, where a state senator who participated in the pro-Trump events in D.C. before the insurrection is now demanding, get this, that binders full of ballots be delivered to him. It shouldn't surprise you that Pennsylvania frauded guy is considering running for governor. We see you Republicans rolling out the full insurrection toolkit to any state where you have legislative control in order to instill social chaos and crush our democracy using, quote, election integrity as a shield to try to suppress the vote while sucking up to Trump. And because claiming widespread fraud in last fall's election isn't bearing any actual proof because it didn't happen, you're scrambling to implement Plan B, which is pushing through voter restriction laws with a vengeance which we saw last night in Texas again when Republicans proposed to ban drive through and early voting in their latest draft of election legislation. With our signature voting bill blocked, Democrats are clamoring to get the Biden White House to do more and to say more about passing voting legislation on the Hill. President Biden, Vice President Harris met with civil rights leaders and a private session to discuss just that. And some of those leaders had this to say about their summer of activism. We see an effort to impose a system of American apartheid. We say enough is enough. When we talk about what's going to happen with the black vote, uh, we know when we talk about the black vote, we're talking about black women. Joining me now is the Reverend Al Sharpton, president of the National Action Network and host of Politics Nation right here on MSNBC. Melanie Campbell, president of the National Coalition on Black Civic Participation. And Kurt Bardella, advisor to the Democratic Congressional Campaign Committee. Thank you all for being here. Rev, I'm going to start with you. I saw a little bit of the press conference that you guys did after um, that you met with the, the president. But give us a review for those who didn't see it. What came out of that meeting? What were the demands and what was the action plan that came out? 
Well, the president met with uh, eight of us that lead national civil rights organizations, and uh, it was scheduled for an hour. We met an hour and 40 minutes, basically to tell him that after the Supreme Court decision of last week, that we are returning back to a state's rights kind of, of election system, where the, in effect with the Arizona decision the Supreme Court gave, they're saying that states had the right to decide on what election process they were going to use as long as people could vote, even if it caused people a little inconvenience, they could vote anyhow. And that we intended to fight to make sure that Senate Bill 1 and the John Lewis Bill passed, and we were going to do it by building a movement from the ground. We wanted to inform him of that. We wanted him to use his bully pulpit in the White House to really deal with these, the, the gravity of the hour. And he and the vice president listened intently. He said, I'm going to do all I can from the White House. He did not uh, say that he could deliver legislation because he clearly is having problems getting over 50 votes. But he was very intense and uh, in his listening. The vice president said she is willing to go on the road and campaign for this. I told them that in 1964, after the Civil Rights Act, Martin Luther King said they needed a Voting Rights Act. Lyndon Johnson said, we just can't do it. And that Dr. King left this very White House and went south and built that movement. And we were leaving there today to build that movement around this country. We're going to have a big march August 28th, Martin Luther King III. And Andrea King and I have called along with a march on. Melanie Campbell, she's going to talk about build-ups that are starting this week. We are not going to let them take the right to vote from us not in our time, not in this generation. Yeah, and you know, Melanie, you know, as, as uh, Rev talks about the August 28th, you know, this anniversary march, you know, it, there, we'll recall that the March on Washington was not a march with Kennedy. It was a march on Kennedy uh, to push him yeah. to say that you're going to pass this bill. It wasn't like a friendly march. You know, the Kennedy administration didn't even want it. Like, what do you take as the, the White House attitude toward the activism that's now taking place? I'm talking to a lot of activists who are frustrated, frankly, with the White House, that they're talking a good game, but they aren't doing anything and that they aren't using the power that they have, not just the White House, but Democrats in the United States Senate are simply refusing to use the power they have to defend their core voters, meaning black voters. Okay. Uh, thank you, Joy. Uh, um, good to be here with uh, Reverend Sharpton. Uh, one of the things that was really clear for us, we, we, we shared what we know is going what we're hearing on the ground all across this country and that that folks are frustrated and they want to see uh, a good fight. And I, and I think I think they heard us on that. And whatever way they can fight from the White House, uh, uh, they need to do that. And it didn't just start activism. We've been pushing this. But now what Reverend talked about what happened last week. It just took it to a whole nother level. So for black women who are the secret sauce to Democrats win, winning anything in this country, we, we're coming together. Uh, with all of our civil rights colleagues and allies and others uh, for, for a whole week of action during next week. We're going on Capitol Hill next week. When they come back, those 10 uh, Republicans who voted uh, to not even allow for there to be even a discussion sent us a message. And it was really clear. What are you going to do about it? And so what we're going to do about it is do what our ancestors have taught us and what we do, all of us every day, not just us, but many, many others. We're going to take it to the streets and we're going to keep pushing in Congress uh, and, and make sure that we get the voting rights because we won't get anything else, Joy. Uh, we can pass things now. And if we lose the ability to not just vote, 
but to make sure that that vote gets counted. One of the things that happened in Georgia, our uh, local affiliate is Helen Butler, uh, who uh, state affiliate with the Georgia Coalition for the People's Agenda, who also sits on a local board of election, who was taken off of that local board of election so that that made some 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 folks can just take and choose who they want to be able to decide how votes get counted. So we can organize all day long the way we always have. But then if the rules change about who gets to decide if that vote gets counted, we'll never be able to have the ability to have one man, one woman, one vote and, and vote for the candidates of our choice. Yeah. And, you know, Kurt, you know, the the history rhymes, right? I mean, when the 1960s movement was taking place, Democrats also controlled the, the House, the Senate, in the White House, right? It was full Democratic control. The difference was um, that what you have now are Republicans who are essentially being very open and telegraphing the fact that they are attempting to seize power by stealing outright elections. They're not hiding that. They're not like hiding the ball. They're being very open. They're like, no, we're going to steal these elections. We're going to make sure black and brown and young people basically can't vote. We're going to make it so hard and play keep away that they can't vote and only our people can vote. And if, in fact, somehow a Democrat wins, we'll just change the result and make our person win. This is outright. It is apartheid. And so I wonder if you feel like the activists that you're on with today that I'm talking to, and I'm sure you're talking to, the energy is all there. Do you think Democrats in Capitol Hill understand what they're dealing with? Do you think they understand that that's what Republicans are trying to do? I think that they understand that, but I I just don't know that the urgency matches that understanding. And I think, you know, one of the most Important things to remember here, and Jason just played this clip about 10 minutes ago leading up to your show. We have on tape recorded messages from the former president and his lawyer and his team trying to convince people actively in real time to not certify results, to find new votes, to offset the election, to get the outcome that they want, as Rudy Giuliani was recorded saying. This isn't being done in in a secret room somewhere. This isn't a clandestine operation. This is very public. There was an attempted coup in America on election night perpetrated by the person in the most highest power position in the world. And ever since then, it's hard to believe, even though Joe Biden won, even though Democrats control the House and Senate, voting in America has gotten harder since that night. And if Democrats need to understand that the way Republicans are going, if they have their way, if they're allowed to do this unchecked, we will never have a fair election in this country ever again. And Republicans will make it so that the outcome will always be that they win. They are trying to impose a minority, radical, extreme view on the majority of this country. And of all the priorities that we have, and they're all important, climate change, gun reform, dealing with COVID, getting the economy back together, nothing supersedes our democratic rights. Nothing yeah, will matter. Nothing will matter. We don't nothing will matter. It, once they get control, and, and Ravina, you and I were in, we, you and I were in South Africa uh, before. This stuff feels very familiar. It does feel like they're trying to sort of create sort of a, a South African style system where only they are allowed to vote. Everyone else is so restricted that they can't. Just a couple of headlines in Pennsylvania. This guy Doug Mastriano, Republican who's running for governor, um, the, the state WHYY reported that Mastriano spent more than thirty three hundred dollars in campaign money to charter buses from Pennsylvania to D.C. on the day of the incident. 
insurrection. This is a guy um, who's left the Capitol. Say, says he left the Capitol for the riot, but videos show that he was actually there, physically there. He now wants something like 900,000 ballots delivered to his person, to him, so he can conduct his own audit because the real official audits weren't enough. To keep going, Arizona, the Arizona Republic revealed that Kelly Ward, the Republican Party chairwoman, attempted to pressure supervisors to stop counting votes. Stop counting votes. Rev, if we're in a situation where Republicans are that open, where they're saying we're going to recount until we win, I wonder if the who are we marching? Who are we going to march on right now? Because at, in the, at the state level, everybody gets it. It seems to be Washington that doesn't get it. And that is why you need the march on Washington, the action on Washington. What they've been able to do, and I said this to the president and vice president in the meeting, is the right has built a movement. It started as the Tea Party. It went into the birtherism movement. Now it's Trump. We have to put that kind of movement under Democrats so that they understand that their very political lives depend on them sustaining and protecting our right to vote or then we put people there that will do that. This is that's not right. about them. This is about us. And that's why I said it must be intergenerational, even as the vice president, Trump, young actors, older. The war is not in the movement. The war must be the movement must say to yes. those that are on the front line, either you protect us or we put other people in the front line. But this is non-negotiable. We are Amen. not giving up our right to vote. They're going to find out. They're going to mess around and find out that if they won't fight for their base, their base will replace them with people who will fight. The other difference between now and the 1960s is everybody in Congress were old white guys who, even if they were far right or far left or in the middle, could all sit down and have a beer together because they were basically socially all on the same side and could all live with whatever the results were. This is now a fight to the finish. It's democracy or autocracy. It's America or 1980s South Africa. That's how serious it is, Democrats. Wake up. Wake up. Don't do the clapping. Wake up. Okay. Uh, well, these activists here are fighting for it. Kurt Bardella, thank you very much. The Rev, Reverend Al Sharpton, Melanie Campbell, thank you all very much. Up next on The Readout, the circus arrives in Austin, Texas, as Greg Abbott begins his special session of conservative wedge issues, white grievance, and black voter suppression in what we're calling hashtag the suppression session. Plus, Puppet Kevin gets ready to make his choices known for the January 6th Select Committee. Will he take this seriously? <laughs> or just use it as another opportunity to troll America and suck up to Trump? And a little light reading from the absolute worst book club. Tonight's selection, MAGA Cult Egg Elegy, a memoir of a man who surrendered his soul at the altar of Trump. The readout continues after this. You like to watch new stuff, right? Well, go to Hulu and see what's new, because Hulu has new stuff all the time. Like Vanderpump Villa, the new docudrama starring Lisa Vanderpump, where first-class luxury meets world-class drama. A new season of The Kardashians starring The Kardashians, of course. And Grand Cayman, Secrets in Paradise, the sizzling new reality show set in the tropical Caribbean. It's all new and it's streaming now on Hulu. At KPMG, we make the difference. It's not just something we say. It's what we do. Our professionals believe in the value of collaboration and the power of technology. We work closely with clients to uncover insights that illuminate opportunity, develop bold solutions that innovate industries, and create better outcomes driven by data. Brighter insights. Bolder solutions. Better outcomes. 
It's how our people make the difference, driving growth and value for our clients. KPMG, make the difference. The Texas legislature began its special legislative session, or more accurately, its suppression session today, with an agenda almost exclusively devoted to restricting the rights of Texans, voting rights in particular. Republican Governor Greg Abbott laid out 11 issues that he wants to prioritize, among them so-called election integrity, a.k.a. voter suppression, border security, addressing alleged social media censorship, and you guessed it, critical race theory. Also, bail reform, restrictions on abortion drugs, and banning transgender athletes from competing in high school sports, because that is a top, top priority for Texas. Notably not included in that right wing, that right, that right wing red meat dinner plate, doing anything whatsoever about the power grid, the one that failed millions of Texans during a freak winter storm. And then Texans were asked to conserve electricity during a heat wave last month, but nothing about that. At a news conference with activists from Black Voters Matter, the chair of the Texas Democratic Caucus spelled out what's really on Greg Abbott's agenda. We have a problem keeping the lights on in this state, we've learned this year. That's what Greg Abbott ought to be focused on, not on his next primary election, not on pandering to Donald Trump and his extremist base. Ah, yes, the primary. That said, Texas Republicans wasted zero time rolling out a pair of revamped voter suppression bills in both houses of the legislature. Both would add new voter requirements for mail-in voting and ban drive-through voting and overnight early voting. They'd also criminalize, criminalize election officials sending unsolicited mail-in ballot applications and empower partisan poll watchers to intimidate voters. The bills are similar to the one Republicans tried to pass uh, during the regular legislative session in May, which was killed by Texas Democratic lawmakers with a late night walkout. Joining me now, Texas State Representative Sinfronia Thompson, dean of the Texas House Democratic Caucus, and Latasha Brown, co-founder of Black Voters Matter. And um, dean, the dean, uh, Democratic Caucus Dean uh, Thomas, <laughs> I, I want to talk uh, first. I mean, the, the, the Occam's razor answer to why this is happening uh, is a guy named Alan West, who I know well. I covered him in Florida. He is Cuckoo for Cocoa Puffs-ish, um, you know, the guy who wanted to march on Washington with bayonets because uh, because Barack Obama was elected president. That guy. He is now potentially running for governor against your current governor. Is that why this is happening? Is this why they're rolling out this full um, blue plate special of insane bills? I'm wondering why they're really rolling this out at all, because uh, the bill failed uh, last month. And usually when we have a bill that fails, we move forward to the next session of the legislature. So we don't know why we are really here. Other than the fact that the governor's running for re-election and he's trying to reach the White House by way of becoming a president. Yeah. Well, he's trying to roll out all, uh, Latasha, of the issues, the red meat issues that, you know, get Fox News conservatives excited. Critical race theory. The blacks are coming to get you. The browns are coming to get you at the border. But what they're doing functionally is essentially trying to zero out all the ways that black people vote. You tweeted something uh, earlier today that I feel like people need to to read if they didn't see it on Twitter. You, you wrote this. Let me get this right. Y'all want us to do more work, register more people and turn out more voters. The last time we did that, we got attacked and now have fewer voting rights. Please explain the logic of why do we have to bear the burden to do more only to get less? I know you have to be exhausted running around trying to fight these voter suppression laws. You seem to be expressing some frustration that activists are having to do it all when the party that supposedly cares the most about black people is in power in Washington. 
you know, absolutely. There's a paradox of being black in America that it seems that all of the political systems, even the political parties that we support um, are always leaning towards white comfort. At the end of the day, black folks came out in record historic numbers. Black and brown folks in Texas now make the majority, could possibly make the majority of the electorate and they're being attacked. What we're seeing is we're seeing that it's not just limited to Texas or even to Georgia. We're seeing that all around this nation. So here it is that voters came out, did what they were supposed to do. They voted. And in fact, they're being attacked. And then the question is, who is going to protect the voter? Who is going to make sure that they put everything on the field just as we did? Why are the Democrats continuing and, and President Biden continuing to support the filibuster? It is clear that the Republicans have no intention of literally being able to come up to any agreement that will support voting rights, but in fact, do the opposite. And so there is a frustration. There's a growing frustration in our community. There should be a growing frustration in America. This is really about democracy. This isn't a, a, a partisan issue. But what we do expect is we do expect the party to put everything on the field just as we did in the election. It shouldn't be a partisan issue, but, you know, as the Republican Party has become a white interest party, they're being very open about that now. They're saying, no, we only want to make sure that, you know, white, rural and, and our voters, people who vote for us can vote and everybody else. You just you're not going to be able to. We're just going to make it so hard. You can't do it. Um, uh, uh, Dean, I'd, I'd love to call you Dean Thompson. I'm going to keep calling you Dean Thompson, Representative Thompson. Um, let me just read through what's in this bill that they want to put through. Um, a new voter ID requirement for vote by mail, banning drive through voting, banning overnight early voting, criminalizing sending unsolicited uh, applications and this poll watchers thing. I want to focus on that last thing. What is it that they think that these poll watchers should be allowed to do? Well, the thing that they want to do is they normally put I've had experience in this area. They normally put poll watchers in uh, minority areas. And they are normally people of different nationalities than the areas that they place them. And they are there to intimidate the workers, not the workers, but they intimidate the voters. And when persons, uh, people walk into a poll and they see these strange persons in their polling place looking at them mean spirited, uh, it's frightening. And sometimes they may just get up and walk out. Are they allowed to be armed? Can they, can those poll watchers be armed? Well, uh, that's a good question, uh, particularly since we have just passed the permitless gun bill. We know that the the uh, the, the person themselves who uh, presides over the poll can, in fact, have a gun. But yeah. whether the poll watchers would be permitted to have one is another question. I would predict that they probably they probably could uh, be. Yeah. And then the most difficult thing is that they're going to be difficult to supervise if they step out of line. You have to find them uh, acting up maybe two or three times before you can ask them to leave or ask the police to come and ask them uh, to be escorted out. Right. And a lot of harm can be done within that period of time. Indeed. Latasha, what do you want to see done differently? We had civil rights activists met. We, you just, I don't know if you were able to hear Rev Sharpton and Melanie Campbell talking about the demands they took in. And they told the White House that folks are frustrated. The White House knows folks are frustrated. Do you understand why they seem to be so calmly walking into this? They, too, will not be able. I don't know if they get that they cannot win reelection if they are banned from winning reelection, that even if they get the numbers, they'll just say, no, we, we erase this off the books. Do you think they get it? What do you want to see them do differently? You know, not only do I think it's just a, about getting it around black voters or whether they win or lost. I think there's a larger question here. 
Will we have a real democracy? Will democracy be real in this nation when we're talking about voting rights? You know, are we going to protect the rights of citizens to vote to, for whomever they please? You know, what I would like to see is one, I would like to see an immediate end to the filibuster. We know what is holding up legislation. We know that that has been a tool that has been used traditionally to stop civil rights legislation. Two, I would like to see the administration do everything in its power to pass for the People Act. We need federal legislation that is going to create a baseline so whether you live in Alabama or Iowa or Texas, you will have equal access to the ballot to vote. And we want to see the John Lewis Voter Advancement Act. And even that in itself is not enough. I think that's a great start. But what is not negotiable is our voting rights. We will be relentless and we are resilient and we are going to keep our foot on the pedal. It is important for us to have voting rights in this country. We showed up and we should not be punished because we participated in voting and using our civil rights. And you cannot buy people off with infrastructure and a bridge if they can't vote and they have no rights. I, 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 my, uh, anyway, my head's going to explode. Texas Representative Sinfronia Thompson and Latasha Brown, thank you both for being here. Still ahead. House Minority Leader Kevin McCarthy is expected to announce his picks for the January 6th Select Committee soon. I'm sure his picks will be serious, sober-minded lawmakers intent on getting all the facts. <laughs> right? Right? Come on! No. Plus... There's new reporting on what Donald Trump said about his supporters the night before the insurrection. It it won't surprise you. I'll talk about all of that when the chair of the January 6th Select Committee is on next. It's been more than six months since the insurrection at the Capitol, and the select committee to investigate that attack is still taking shape. With eight of the 13 slots on that committee now filled by Speaker Pelosi, we're still awaiting the announcement from House Minority Leader Kevin McCarthy, who's expected to propose five Republicans for the remaining positions. NBC News reports that Kevin has spoken to multiple colleagues about possibly serving. Uh, However, the question is whether he will try to sabotage the investigation by picking Republicans who are more loyal to Trump's big lie than to American democracy. Some members of the Republican conference, like extremists Andy Biggs and Paul Gosar, could be witnesses, if not suspects, in the investigation. That said, Pelosi will have final say over Kevin's appointees, but has declined to say whether there'll be any selections that would be rejected outright. We already know that the investigation will focus on the role Donald Trump played in encouraging the insurrection, as it should. And Chairman Benny Thompson has not ruled out a subpoena for the ex-president. Last month, ProPublica reported that the White House knew what kind of extremists would be descending on the Capitol that day. And according to excerpts from the new book by Michael Bender of The Wall Street Journal, Trump himself raised questions about what his supporters might do. On the day before the insurrection, Trump asked his team if the following day would be peaceful. Don't forget, Trump told them, these people are fired up. I'm joined now by the chairman of the Select Committee on January 6th, Congressman Benny Thompson of Mississippi. And uh, Chairman Thompson, I want to start with that question about what, in your view, would be unacceptable in terms of people that Kevin McCarthy might pick? Is it just extremists like the Lauren Boeberts and Marjorie Q. Greens? Or is there somebody is there some criteria in your own mind about what would be unacceptable? Well, uh, thank you very much, uh, Joe, for having me. It's clear that this committee has to work. Uh, we're not interested in people who are distractors and doing the work. Uh, we can differ, uh, but there's a process. Committees operate by rules and regulations. As chair, I will make sure that we do that. 
I would hope that uh, Leader McCarthy uh, give members on this committee uh, the respect they do by putting people on there who want to find out what really happened uh, on January 6th, rather than uh, put people who are denying that anything occurred. Uh, all of the, the information you can see in the public sector, uh, it was quite a show. And it almost cost the life of a lot more people, members of Congress, staff who work in the building. And so what we have to do is take the charge that this committee uh, has, has been tasked to do, is look at the facts and circumstances on January 6th and call it like we see it. Uh, we'll go where the facts lead us. Uh, nothing is sacred. Uh, the committee at this point has no shrieking violets on it. Uh, we want to get it uh, done. We'll hire the best investigators and we'll do whatever we need to do uh, to get to the facts. Are you concerned that, you know, I can see somebody like a Jim Jordan getting picked because he's already a committee chair and then him uh, leading his side uh, of this committee to try to raise things like Black Lives Matter or to, to use distractions by trying to say Antifa did it or trying to raise some of the Donald Trump conspiracy theories on the committee? Are you worried about that happening? Uh, well, I'm not worried about it happening. If if uh, those individuals raise the issues, uh, we have a process by which we, we go through. Uh, none of the information that we have gleaned thus far indicate that Black Lives Matter or Antifa was involved in the activities of January 6th. Uh, if those individuals have information, uh, they need to present it. But otherwise, we'll proceed where the investigator investigation uh, leads us. Well, let me ask you this question, too, because Byron York of the Washington Examiner, of the conservative Washington Examiner, has sort of laid out what I think is going to be the Republican argument against this commission. And he says priorities in order. The House Select Committee will be about, one, getting Trump, two, getting McCarthy, and three, getting any other Republican who might be gettable. How do you respond to people like Byron York? Well, uh, I would suggest uh, he read the resolution establishing the Select Committee. Uh, the scope of the committee is quite clear as to what our responsibilities are. Uh, we will have a budget. We'll be able to hire staff and we will follow the information. Uh, as you know, significant resources have already been expended by committees of jurisdiction uh, in trying to get us to where we are today. What we want to do now is take that information that judiciary, government reform and oversight, House administration, and put it in the venue of this select committee, coupled with the investigation that we will do, and we'll draft the product. So uh, people will get out and say those things, but that's not the charge uh, of this committee. The charge right. is the scope and circumstances of January 6th. Yeah, we've already seen uh, the ex-president uh, attempting to make a martyr of Ashley uh, Babbitt, the woman who was an Air Force veteran who tried to climb through the speaker's lobby door through the window um, and was shot by a Capitol Police officer. Uh, are you concerned that members of the Republican side of this commission will try to uh, make public the identity of the officer who protected a lot of people's lives uh, by having to take that shot that I'm sure he didn't want to take. But in this case, he protected people's lives. Are you worried that Republicans who are now out to out this person's identity will use this commission to divulge their identity and put this uh, this gentleman in danger? Well, I will not as chair 
allowed this committee to be used as a political pawn. We will do what's in the best interest of this country. Uh, if I have to, as chair, uh, protect any and all individuals, we'll do that. Uh, there are some people who have already expressed concern uh, about their own safety if they come and testify before sure. this committee. If we have to set up a process by which they testify behind a shield, we'll do that. Uh, yeah. I hope the integrity of this commission uh, will be above reproach. Yeah. As chair, I'll make sure that those individuals who, who want to try to do otherwise, uh, as chairman, I'll make sure that they don't succeed. Uh, Congressman Benny Thompson, who's chairing this January 6th uh, commission, thank you very much, sir. Really appreciate your time. And still ahead, our climate in crisis, rampant wildfires, rapidly rising sea levels, severe droughts. Scientists say it's all because of the climate crisis, commonly known as climate change. Yet somehow conservatives have managed to convince themselves and many others that it's really not a big deal. How did they pull that off? That's next. Stay with us. You like to watch new stuff, right? Well, go to Hulu and see what's new, because Hulu has new stuff all the time. Like Vanderpump Villa, the new docudrama starring Lisa Vanderpump, where first-class luxury meets world-class drama. A new season of The Kardashians starring The Kardashians, of course. And Grand Cayman, Secrets in Paradise, the sizzling new reality show set in the tropical Caribbean. It's all new and it's streaming now on Hulu. It has never been more clear that we are in a severe climate crisis. California, which had a record-breaking wildfire season last year, is already on pace to surpass that. 93% of the American West is currently experiencing drought conditions. Last week, a town in Canada set the country's record 121 degrees and then was promptly engulfed by a wildfire that destroyed 90% of their village, 90%. Portland, Oregon, hit three consecutive records at the end of June, which killed 116 people. A new study concludes that this extreme heat would be virtually impossible without, quote, human-caused climate change. The study's not yet peer-reviewed, but the AP calls it, calls their methods credible. And if none of this screams apocalypse to you, sea creatures are literally cooking in their own shells. Yet much of the world continues as if everything is fine. We're still extremely dependent on fossil fuels, making possible oil spills like this one last week in the Gulf of Mexico, more likely. But there's a very good reason that people haven't been focused on this enough. And of course, it has everything to do with politics and big money. And there are some very, very rich, very self-interested people and industries who've been paying big money to make sure that you don't pay attention. In a memo for Republicans in 2001, consultant Frank Luntz instructed them to scrub their vocabulary of global warming because it had catastrophic connotations and rely on another term, climate change, which suggested a more controllable and less emotional challenge. And it clearly worked. And oil companies like ExxonMobil have been lobbying against climate action from the very beginning. And it's still happening today. A senior lobbyist for Exxon told an undercover reporter that the company had been working to weaken key aspects of President Biden's flagship initiative, the climate crisis, and that he's speaking to Senator Joe Manchin's office every week. Manchin's spokesperson claimed the lobbyists greatly exaggerated their relationship. Okay. I'm joined now by Congressman Ro Khanna of California, chair of the House Oversight Environment Subcommittee, and Charlie Pierce, writer at large for Esquire. And Congressman Ro Khanna, I want to start with you first. Let me play for you the Greenpeace under a piece of the Greenpeace undercover video. Take a listen. 
did we aggressively fight against um, uh, some of the science? Uh, Yes. Uh, Did we hide our science? Absolutely not. Um, did we uh, did we join some of these shadow groups uh, to work against uh, some of the early efforts? Yes, that's true. Uh, but there's nothing there's nothing illegal about that. I'm required now to read their statements. Exxon lobbyist Keith McCoy said, I'm deeply embarrassed by my comments and I allowed myself to fall for Greenpeace's deception. My statements clearly do not represent ExxonMobil's positions on important public policy issues. Exxon CEO Darren Wood said, we condemn the statements and are deeply apologetic for them, including comments regarding interactions with elected officials. Yeah, okay. Um, should these men be called to testify in Congress about these statements, Congressman? Joy, they should be called. They will be called. They're going to show up to our committee uh, in September. It is appalling that every other industry has shown up to Congress. Tech CEOs, defense contractors, the pharmaceutical industry, the Wall Street industry. Who do these fossil fuel executives think they are that they don't have to show up in Congress? That's going to change. We are prepared to use whatever tool is necessary. They will be showing up and answering the questions of members of Congress. You know, Charlie, isn't the fact that who they think they are is the people who own the United States and own the government and they and they feel that they are in complete ownership, not just of Republicans, but some Democrats uh, who are in oily states. No. Well, oily states, coal, I don't coalish, I guess would be the word states. <laughs> uh, yeah, I mean, any state that's dependent upon the extraction industries. But this is again, this is a playbook we've seen before, Joy. This is exactly what the tobacco companies did. Correct. They knew all along the nicotine was addictive. They just wouldn't tell anybody. Exxon, there are document, there's documented evidence that the oil companies knew exactly what carbon was doing in the atmosphere long before everybody except, I guess, Jim Hansen did. And, <laughs> you know, they kept it to themselves. So yeah. this is not, I mean, this is, this is the way American, this is the way American corporations, which by and large lost any, you know, pretense of a social conscience somewhere around the 1980s. Uh, this is the way they operate. Yeah, because they want money, money, money. Uh, the va- you wrote this, Charlie, uh, in Esquire. Um, you said the vaccinations are quick, easy, and free, and yet there's an actual movement gathered to resist the whole idea. If we can't convince our fellow citizens to do this, how in the name of God are we going to convince them to make the sacrifices that the climate crisis inevitably will force upon us? And while I'm reading, Charlie, I'm going to ask you a question, Congressman. Isn't the problem here with, you know, we even talk about this a lot in our team when we talk about doing these stories on climate, that whenever you do climate or COVID, it reads to a lot of the public as you're telling me what to do. You're telling me I have to wear a mask. You're telling me I have to get a vaccination. You're telling me I can't drive my SUV. And so anything that reads as you're telling me what to do, people reject and they don't want to hear it. So my question is, how do we take action on a, in a governmental sense when Americans won't even save their own lives by taking a free vaccine? So I think most Americans want to take action on the climate. Many want to be stewards of the land. They don't want to live next to pollution. The problem has been that big fossil fuel industries have spent millions of dollars spreading climate information, disinformation, saying that we don't have a climate crisis. It's just climate change, that it's not human caused, saying that we can just tweak things and everything will be fine. So the American people are up against millions of dollars of self-interested advertising that's not disclosed. And I think a congressional hearing will change the game, just like when big tobacco came before Congress and had to explain what they're doing. Big fossil fuel industry executives will have to explain what they're doing to the American public and the American public will not put up with it.
Yeah, and Charlie, you're a word guy. I mean, the reality is Democrats have to stop playing on Republicans' turf. Stop saying climate change. That's Frank Luntz's words that he's professionally created to create disinformation. He's good at it. But why are we saying climate change? It's a climate crisis. It's a crisis. Um, That's what, so I mean, I, stop I, I talking like that. I, deliber- I, mean, but, mm-hmm. I deliberately stopped using climate change on on the blog that I write when I heard about the Frank Luntz connection. I've been calling it a climate crisis in a while back, in the last book I wrote, I went to a place called Shishmaref in Alaska, which is a barrier, a barrier island above the Arctic Circle. And it's going away. I mean, because the sea ice doesn't doesn't form anymore. And because the this basically what that place is, is the place where typhoons going to die. They go up the, the east coast of Asia and then they go. What they used to do is they used to beat, beat themselves to death on the sea ice. But there's no sea ice anymore. So right. you're getting typhoons in the Arctic and it's eating away the permafrost. And this place is gradually disappearing. But very the quickly, people there to you. Know. Yeah, no, oh, absolutely. Yeah. Last question to you very quick. I'm sorry, we're running out of time, but I got to get you to comment on Fox News getting into the weather business. Because to me, that's just another opportunity oh. for them to lie and create disinformation that gets people killed and, and, uh, and kills the planet. Your thoughts? Is that for me? That's for you, Charlie. Oh, I'm sorry. Uh, yeah, I think this is just what we need right now is the is they're going to find some some Tucker Carlson of meteor meteorology to tell us everything's OK. Meanwhile, <laughs> you know, meanwhile, you know, Chicago is having problems with Lake Michigan now. And Congressman, the last question then to you, then, if you're up against a wall of disinformation that includes Rupert Murdoch putting his, you know, gnarly fingers in the game to try to add, you know, to his already, you know, monstrosity of disinformation. um, I wonder, just as a legislator, what do you do? You're up against all of this money and power. You are and you ask for disclosure. Here's the hypocrisy. No one is questioning their First Amendment rights. If the Exxon executive CEO wants to stand up there and say, we are for pollution, we are for misinformation and we are lying to the American public, he has the right to do that. The problem is that they're acting as if they're for green energy. They're acting as if they're responsible stewards. And they have had an election where they're now sustainable people who believe in sustainability on their board of directors. I think change is coming. Uh, This is a moment we're going to hold them accountable. And they're hoping Republicans take over the entire government so that there will never be anything done about climate. And even if they kill the planet, they just want their cash. It's sad and it's wicked. Uh, Congressman Ro Khanna and Charlie Pierce, thank you very much. Before we go to break, uh, we have an update on the crisis in Haiti. Six people were arrested in connection with the assassination of President Jovenel Moise. Several media outlets citing Haiti's minister of elections reported that at least one of them was an American citizen. The State Department said it couldn't confirm that yet. Seven other suspected individuals were killed in a gunfight with police. The assassination has generated confusion about who's the legitimate leader in charge of the country right now. Prime Minister Claude Joseph, who was the acting prime minister before the assassination, has assumed leadership with the backing of police and the military. Yesterday, Joseph cleared a two-week state of siege. Tonight's absolute worst uh, uh, is next, so don't go anywhere. The modern-day Republican Party is the living embodiment of the race to the bottom. There's their embrace of insurrection over the peaceful transfer of power, Republican members of Congress disrespecting and defunding the police, and, of course, white nationalism. But the party's not complete until you add a heaping scoop of spinelessness. Take, for example, Republican New York Congresswoman Elise Stefanik, who was principled until it wasn't politically expedient. 
Or what about Texas Senator Rafael Cancun Cruz? The Florida man basically called his wife ugly and Cruz wasn't even Texas enough to make him apologize before taking the knee. Normally, you can't scoop, you can't stoop any lower than Cruz, but alas, there is one guy who found his way to stoop down even lower to the ground. His name is James David Vance. You probably know him as J.D. Vance, and you've probably heard of his book, which was made into an equally crappy Punch the Poor's movie, Hillbilly Elegy. Come on, Ron Howard, you're better than that. Last week, he joined six other Ohioans kissing the ring of the serial sexual harasser with the hope of winning the Republican nomination for the United States Senate. The millionaire venture capitalist and Yale graduate who's being funded by tech billionaire Peter Thiel has crisscrossed the country selling his brand of supposedly principled conservatism during the 2016 election when he was building up his name ID. Vance literally told anyone at that time who would listen just how bad Trump was. In February of 2016, he wrote Trump's actual policy proposals ranged from immoral to absurd. In April of that year, he wrote, Mr. Trump is unfit for our nation's highest office. Three months later, he wrote, Trump is cultural heroin. He makes some people feel better for a bit, but he cannot fix what ails them. And one day they'll realize it. Basically called him crack. But wait, there's more. And this one is uh, pretty good. He wrote that Trump offers a slogan about greatness with little substance to support it. Flash forward to this week and candidate J.D. Vance is spending the majority of his time apologizing for his negative comments and literally deleting traces of them from Twitter. He also lined up a bunch of interviews outside the Fox echo chamber to rationalize his reversal. He told Time magazine that Trump is the leader of this movement and that if he actually cares about these people and the things I say I care about, I just need to suck it up and support him. This level of subservience is epically gross, but that doesn't seem to bother Vance at all. He told NBC News that when it comes to suck ups, Trump gets a certain kick out of people kissing butt. And also, he thinks that people who kiss his butt all the time are pretty weak. J.D., you're talking about you. You, as the kids would say, you played yourself. And for your shameful, no self-respect, groveling, moddy coddling and flip floppery, you are tonight's absolute worst and a suck up. And that is tonight's readout. Spectrum One is a big deal. You get Spectrum Internet with the most reliable internet speeds, free advanced Wi-Fi for enhanced security and privacy, and a free Spectrum Mobile Unlimited line with nationwide 5G included, all while saving big. For the big speed, big reliability, and big savings you want, get Spectrum One. Just $49.99 a month for 12 months. Visit spectrum.com slash big deal for full details. Offer subject to change. Valid for qualified residential customers only. Service not available in all areas. Restrictions apply.